talk to you this morning about the Beatitudes. Did you guys like the Beatitudes last week? They're simple, they're to the point, they're practical, and here's what I love about them. They're deeper than simple resolutions that we might make that are kind of surfacey and kind of like same thing happens every year. We all set out the same resolutions based on our willpower and strength to get stuff done, and we just don't ever end up being fulfilled. Even whether we actually fulfill the resolutions or not, we're still kind of like, there's got to be more. And I think Jesus was onto something with the Beatitudes. He's talking about what's on the inside matters most because that's going to affect you your whole life. It's going to affect the quality of your life, the value of your life. And he's describing in the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of Jesus just giving straight truth. Here's what it is to be a Christian. The, the greatest sermon, the greatest chunk of the Bible ever, Jesus himself just talking about, here's what we should look like as followers of Jesus Christ. And he starts it off with the Beatitudes, and it's about eight things that are just pretty simple. And he goes, hey, if you want to be blessed, you want to have a full life that's like, not just blessed, like, yay, I won the lottery, something good happened, but like the real deal, deep down kind of, I'm content, I'm satisfied, my life feels good, I'm in the right place. More importantly, I'm in the will of God. And everything else could be falling apart in my world, but it's not based on outward circumstances. It's that inside, I can sleep easy every night going, my life is good and blessed. If you want that, Jesus gives us this little short little list of ways that change us from the inside out. Here's what I love about the Beatitudes as I've read them over the years is um, I'm a pretty insecure guy. I'm a, I'm a guy, like, this isn't normally what I would like to do if I had to choose what I could do. Public speaking in front of a lot of staring faces, that's not fun, really, to me. Some people dig it. They're like, yeah, all the attention I can get. Give me more. But to me, honestly, growing up, I, I never, I hated public speaking. I hated those kind of classes. I hated all of that kind of stuff. I loved church and all of that, and I wanted to serve God, but I never, ever wanted to be a senior pastor. My dad was a senior pastor, and I was just like, no, never. That's cool. You do that and all. That's good. I'm going to follow God, but that's your deal. That's not mine. And Along the way, God spoke to me in different things, but I'm, I'm secure. I'm, I'm insecure. I'm insecure about the way that I look. I'll not, not as much of a problem anymore, but I've always looked young for my age. Um, and to a lot of you guys, you're like, I wish I had that problem, right? <laughs> well, don't worry, old man. It's, it goes both ways. Uh, I, I get insecure and intimidated when people tell me I look young because I feel like they're judging me and saying, you're immature and you're this and you can't do what you do and who are you to be a parent? Yeah, I, I talked to someone this week. I just met him. And, and I was admiring their baby. Oh, cute little kid. And they're like, oh, you have kids of your own? I'm like, yeah, I got three. They're like, three? You look young. And I'm like, well, I look young, but I have a six-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 17 or 16-year-old. She's almost 17. A 16-year-old. And they're like, what? You're too young to have. And it's kind of like, oh, thank you. But on the other hand, the way it feeds my insecurity is like, oh, you don't look old enough. You're not, you can't be a parent. And I like, I wear that like as a weird thing. And like, oh. You, you pastor a church? How old are you? You know, that kind of a deal? How many of you guys have ever thought that about me? Seriously, come on. Like, I know, sorry about that. But um, I just have this insecurity about myself. And uh, I met someone, I was surfing with my son in, in out Al Moana side this past week. And I was out there with my brother-in-law and his son, my nephew also. And we're in the water. And it turns out this guy out there in the water surfing is a Christian too. And, and I hear him small talking between my brother-in-law and, and this guy. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to New Hope. And hey, where do you go to church? And he's talking with my brother-in-law, right? I'm just kind of sitting there in the water a few feet away listening. And he's like, oh, I go to Hope Chapel, Kaneohe Bay. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Ralph Moore, his son took over now, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, how's that going? And it's like, I'm like, and he goes, no, super good, really good. And he goes, yeah. 
And he goes, what's his name? He goes, oh, Carl. And he goes, yeah, okay, okay. And he goes, actually, it's my brother-in-law, and he's actually right over here. I was like, <laughs> but then the guy looks at me, and he's like, oh, oh, okay, hey, hi. And I'm like, what was that for? You know, the raise, oh, you know, and I'm just thinking, I get so insecure about, like, like outward stuff. Like, what, with this guy out here surfing, you're the lead pastor of a church? Like, what? You know, and, and I just, I felt that about us, myself. I'm not the most articulate guy. I'm like, why am I? In, I don't ever even want to be in front of people. Um, I, I'm on the stage now, and I'm speaking and hoping that they can find Jesus in words that I say, but I'm not the most, I'm not Wayne Cordero, and I love Wayne Cordero. That's why I compare myself, and I go, Pastor Wayne speaks with such, like, articulation, and he's, he's powerful and he's moving and in the middle of like a good preaching he'll just like be and Jesus said you know we are to love him love one another and he'll start singing not only can he preach he can sing and I'm like what I look in the mirror and I'm like what no no one wants to hear you sing Carl and I look at all my shortcomings. I look at like the, the, I listen to the critics. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to, but I listen to the critics. Oh, where do you guys meet? I'm like, oh, yeah, we meet over there. Oh, you guys are the ones in the, the tent, right? On the hill, the tent. I'm like, yeah, that, that's us. We're like the church in the tent with the portable trailers and you know, all of that stuff. And they come in here and like, this, this is, this is your worship team. Those guys are pretty young up there. You know, those guys are young and there's a lot of loud music and lights and all of that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sorry. That's, that's how we are, you know, whatnot. Now, who's your staff? And I heard people, friends of mine go, oh, your staff's kind of young, huh? I'm like, well, some of them. I mean, we're kind of balanced. I mean, we're not all. And he goes, there's some tattoos going on in there, too. I'm like, sorry about that. But I take all of these things, and here's where I'm going with this, is I, I start to get down on myself, and I start to feel like, when I read the Beatitudes, I don't know if I can have the full, blessed, content, amazing, filled life, because from outward appearances, I don't know if I measure up good enough. I don't know if myself, my church, I, I, I feel insecure and I feel like I don't know if I can measure up. And a lot of my life, I've had to face this down and go into, step into areas that, that I just basically feel like I'm not qualified to go into. But then here's the thing that drives me is I read the Bible and I listen to Jesus and Jesus is my hero and Jesus speaks life. And Jesus and the word of God tells me this. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 2 and 3. It says, people may be right in their own eyes, outward appearance, right? But the Lord examines the heart. The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just, which comes from an inner heart, right motives, right? He's more pleased with that than when we just simply offer him sacrifices, meaning religion. We, a lot of us can look holy on the outside and do all the religious stuff, but God's looking at our heart. When I read that, I realize there's probably a bunch of you guys in this room here like me who feel like you don't really even have any business being in church because of what you just did yesterday or, or where you've been or what your past is like, and you want the full blessing of God, but you feel like God can only give you the partial blessing because of the stuff that you've done and who you are, and you don't look like you measure up to what other Christians are supposed to look like. You're not holy enough. You don't do the right things. You're not this and that. And what the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount encourages us is that it's what's in your heart that matters most. And that, they, that if the inside is right and you love God and you love other people and you do your best to live by that, then 
all of that outside stuff doesn't matter so much. The outside will eventually catch up with the inside. And even if it doesn't, God's only looking at the inside. Are you guys hearing me? So you don't have to live with that, and I don't have to live with that. I can get up on a stage, and I can proclaim the name of Jesus boldly. Although it's something in my flesh I would never, ever want to do, I can do it because God goes, you got the right heart, Carl. I can use you. You care for people. You're walking according to these motives and these desires of your heart. I can give you a blessed life. And so this is what the Beatitudes says for me. It gives me hope. And so I hope that you take that this morning as well. As, as we go through last week and this week, they're simple statements. Almost seem like too simple, like almost too straightforward, like what you see is what you get. But they're deep. They affect your whole life. Um, here's what we went over last week, just to bring you up to speed. We talked about, Jesus talked about, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And we talked about as a resolution this year that we could express our thanks. That was like a first resolution I gave you. Express, express your thanks more this year. Verse 4, he said that God blesses those who mourn. And remember that was mourning for your sin, that you've done wrong and you're like, I feel bad about it. I need to repent of that. It says if you do that, you'll be comforted. And what I wrote there as a resolution was deal with sin, don't ignore it. Deal with that stuff. Give it to God. Get, get free. And then he said, God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they'll inherit the whole earth. What we said there, that resolution, listen more, talk less. That's a rule I've been trying to live by um, all this whole year, all 11 days of it, right? Is listen more, talk less. And then he says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That you would be hungry to have right standing and please God in your life, for they will be satisfied. I put, have godly feeders. If you're hungry for righteousness, then what's feeding that, that hunger for righteousness? The Holy Spirit, godly friends, reading the word of God, and asking for his wisdom in situations. So basically what we're talking about here is you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to look perfect and, and spiritual and religious on the outside, but let God change your insides. And these resolutions are more than resolutions. It's going to benefit every single day of your life. So I want to get right into it this this uh, morning, we have four more of the Beatitudes they want to go over. Some people would say, oh, there's, there's not eight Beatitudes, there's nine. But as you're going to see when we read it, the last two kind of are on the same subject. So I, I, I limit it to eight. Um, but it says this. Jesus goes on in his teaching, just short teaching. And he says these little one-liners. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. I want to talk about that one a little bit here, and I, I probably want to spend a little more time on this one than the other ones, just because I feel like this is a powerful one. It's a good word for me, but for us, is that, that we need to be merciful people. The word here means this, the definition for mercy, kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. And it really has to do with helping and blessing and being compassionate to people who don't necessarily even deserve it. In other words, they kind of get what they deserve, where they're at, but you decide to step in and lend a hand even when it's not necessarily like expected of you. And we look at it like this. As sinners, all of us, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, God doesn't really need to have any business hanging out with us and having a relationship with us because we let him down. He created us to have relationship. We screwed up. Sin came into the world. And God in his perfect holiness, his nature, he can't have anything to do with sin. But because of Jesus paying the price for us on the cross, taking away our sin, now he gives us relationship with him. So we deserve punishment. We deserve hell as, as sinful people. But God not only says, well, 
you deserve something differently. I'm going to treat you differently. He goes out of his way to actually give us grace and to bless us and to bring us into a relationship with him. And so because of that, he now asks us to do the same for other people. When I read this and it says, um, God blesses those who are merciful for they'll be shown mercy. Here's what I read. Go easy on people because God goes easy on you. Go easy on other people because God has went gone easy on me. He paid the price at the cross, but he continues every day of my life to give me what I don't deserve, to not punish me for what I deserve. And what I mean by that, well, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and I, and I do things, and I think things, and I say things that are probably not in God's best interest. And yet God continues to reach out, and he goes, I'm going to help you. You're in need. I know that you make mistakes. I'm going to continue loving you. God is merciful to us. Titus 3 Verses 4 and 5 says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. That's a big thing. That's, that's mercy. You don't deserve it. Not because we'd done anything righteous, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. It's that we would have this attitude, if we want to have a full blessed life, where we have compassion, we have love for people, we take patience for people. That we get mad at people and we could snap, but we decide not to. We decide to be patient and to work things out. That we're not so quick to criticize and condemn and to judge other people. But we're quick to actually lend a helping hand and to give them patience and give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's what it is to have mercy. And it's, it's this. Someone does something wrong. Not that you enable it. Because there's always consequences to when someone does something wrong. And you may have to discipline them. You may have to, to talk sternly with them. But you do it with a spirit that's like, I'm looking out for your best interest. I know this is wrong. I'm not going to let you get away with it. But I care about you. I love you. I don't need to demolish you. I don't need to go and, and rebuke you and then go gossip to everybody about you that I, that I was better and I was smarter and I put that person down is that you would be looking out for someone's best interest. That's kind of what mercy is all about. Here's, here's mercy. I've been learning mercy. God teaches me big life concepts a lot of times, and he does it in small practical things. Here's what I mean. One of the ways that God teaches me to have mercy for other people is in the area of dealing with waiters and waitresses and wait staff. Have you ever had like um, someone in, uh, in a restaurant screw up your order? And you were so looking forward to what you ordered, but then the cook decided to give you something different or whatever, right? Anybody? Does that, does that get under your skin at all? Like you were just so looking forward to white rice, not brown rice, and you want extra gravy. And what comes out is brown, and the, the cook must think, you know, the chef must think you're healthy, and you're not. And you're just like, that's not what I ordered, right? Or your food comes out, and it's not cooked enough. It's like cold, or the meat's not cooked all the way through. Here's one of the things that I've learned is that I don't send all the food back and I don't complain about it. I take whatever's given to me and I eat it, partially because I'm scared what happens when I complain and I send it back. I'm, I'm literally really scared. I have a lot of friends that have worked in the, the food business and I've seen the movies and what happens when you're a complainer about the food and what happens when it goes back in the kitchen? You have no idea, right? It's like, the cook's like, what? The guy's complaining about my, you know? They do that stuff, I'm not kidding. They do. I mean, I talk to guys in high school. They, oh, if we saw someone in the drive-thru we didn't like, oh, we'd find the bugs on the windowsill and we put it in their burger. I'm like, what? No. I, I love all of you. Don't, you know? <laughs> and so part of the reason I don't send stuff back is I'm just a little worried about what's going to happen if I complain, right? Like, no one likes a complainer, so whatever. But here's the other thing. The other reason why I don't send stuff back is God, to me, this is like a personal thing. God's way of testing me 
and helping me learn mercy has been specifically in the area of like waiters and clerks and retail people and stuff like that, is if they mess something up, they, an indicator of my heart in the bigger picture is the way that I treat people in those small circumstances. You guys understand what I'm saying? Just those little tests that I just, I give the opposite. Man, I could complain right now because this is not the way I ordered, this is whatever. Or this person is taking so long and I should be snapping right now and I should be doing this. And I, instead, I do the opposite. Hey, man, looks like things are really busy today. You having a tough day? How's everything going? Oh, no. I say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, you go, go do this. And I compliment them or I encourage them. What I believe that, that that's helping me learn is God's going, here's an area where you can begin to practice mercy in a small thing so you can practice mercy in the big area. Does that make sense? See, I've been to restaurants before. I used to hang out with different people and I hang out with this one guy a lot. And if it took too long for the waiter to come or to get seated or whatever, somewhere along the way, he would just stand up and just be like, I'm leaving. You guys take too long, blah, 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 and badmouth them and walk out. And if we're all with them, could be two people, could be 15 people, we all unfortunately got to go with that guy, right? Because he just made the stand. He got vocal. He left. He was the ride. And we're just like, oh, sorry about that, you know? And we all got to go too. But the problem with that is there was like no patience, no grace, no mercy. And I got bummed every single time because I just thought in my heart, that's not how Christians are supposed to act. And you're publicly making like that. That's, I know they deserve that because they're not waiting in your food in time or whatever. I know that's possibly what they deserve, but mercy is about not doing what people deserve. It's about loving and helping people. And that's what Christians are supposed to look like because that's what Christ looked like. And so when I start to understand that, man, he gives me grace every single day. I got to cut some slack to people. So I get bummed at that guy that always did that walking out and causing a scene. But on the other hand, I saw the opposite of that in effect one day, what real mercy is all about. We're in a crowded restaurant in California, tons of people around. We had a big party. It's like a Saturday night. Um, they're understaffed, so the waitresses are just going crazy, trying their best, bringing everything out. It's just loud. It's noisy. People aren't getting their food on time. There's mistakes in the orders, and it's just rough, and it's showing on the waitress's face. And people are, like, yelling at her, oh, where's my stuff? I didn't order this. And I'm kind of feeling bad. I'm like, oh, wow. And then the waitress drops this whole tray of whatever she's, all the dishes, everything. Boom, all over. And literally, there's people that were bummed at her that were applauding. Ha ha, good for you. You take so long. And I was like, oh, that sucks. That's not cool. That's, you know, and everybody else was like, whoa. You know, the whole uh, the restaurant all heard it. And everyone's like, whoa, you know. And I'm just like, oh, that's, that's got to be rough. But I don't do anything either, right? But this woman at my table walks over to the girl and walks right up to her. She goes, honey, you look like you could use a hug. And just gives her a hug. And the waitress just loses it, just crying, just like, oh. And she's like, it's okay, let it out, you know, and right there. But you know what? Everybody in the restaurant saw this, this gesture that this woman just did. And she goes, thank you so much. I just needed a hug. And she's like, yeah, you're having a tough day. I know it's busy. It's crazy. You're doing your best. And then we all start helping pick up the dishes and, and the whole deal. And I just think, that is what Jesus looks like in my life. I don't deserve it, man. I let him down. I make mistakes. I do stupid stuff. And he goes out of his way to go, I went to the cross for that, Carl. Don't worry about that. I love you. I believe in you. You can do this. And mercy to me, this is such a big one, is that we would look like that. I know guys that specifically hire people that just come out of prison because no one else will hire them. And they make it their intent. They go, I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to hire the guys that no one else is going to hire. Here, listen to me on this one, church. There's people in your life that need you to treat them differently than they've always been treated. 
They need you to treat them differently. They need you to bring in the act of mercy that no one else has ever shown to them. The grace, the patience, the love, the handout that other people, no one else does. Why? Because they deserve what they got coming. That they're jerks, they messed up, they've done this, and so they deserve to get their own and to get the criticism from everyone else. But we as Christians got to go beyond that. And we got to deal with those kind of people. And we got to reach out and we got to show mercy. We got to be Jesus to people like that. What I've learned, here's my resolution for this one. Give more second chances. In 2015, Carl, give more second chances to people. Give the benefit of the doubt to other people. Show a little bit of mercy. I love the, the passage in John 8 about the woman that was caught in adultery. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, literally caught a woman caught in the act of adultery, right? And then we doesn't describe it, but we can just imagine, whoa, that must have been nuts. You know, she had to throw some clothes on. Like, it was, she was literally caught. And they brought her out, and they brought her to Jesus, and they go, what are we going to do with her, Jesus? They're kind of testing him, right? And, and it, he, they said this. The law of Moses says that we can stone her to death right now. That we can rock her world in a bad way, right? <laughs> we can kill her right now. I know, I'm sorry. That's stupid. <laughs> I told you, I'm not articulate. I'm not Wayne Cadero. What you see is what you get. Um, <laughs> the rocker world. <laughs> oh. And so Jesus, here's typical Jesus, right? They're like, we can get her. She did this. She's caught. She's busted. What does Jesus do? Remember classic Jesus? He just kind of goes down, bends down, starts writing in the dust like he could care less, right? You guys are, what? This drama's going on. He's just writing in the dust. And we don't know what he's writing. People speculate, oh, he's writing all their names and all their sins. And that sounds cool. That could preach well. But we don't really know, right? He's just writing. Just classic Jesus, throwing everybody off. Don't know what's going on. Just writing in the dust. Da, 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 you know? And they're like, what, what do we do with her? And Jesus goes, well, any of you guys um, never sinned before? You can be the first one to throw the rock. Go ahead. Have fun. Goes back to writing in the dust, right? And everybody looks around like, what? He said, whoever has no sin, we could do is that you? Because I just kind of blew it yesterday with my wife. Is that you? you know, not me. I put the rocks down and everybody just kind of goes on their way, right? Jesus looks up and there's a woman left there alone. Where is everybody judging you, condemning you, criticizing you? Where'd they go? Oh, no one, none of them are here. They didn't condemn you? No. And Jesus, classic Jesus, then neither do I. He shows mercy to her. But then he says this, because this is important. He says, now go and sin no more. This is what we get from that is. He still acknowledged that she sinned, and he told her that it's wrong, and he told her not to do it anymore. So he didn't, let her, and he didn't enable her and let her get away with it. But he showed an act of mercy that says, I'm not going to come down as hard as I could. I'm, I know what you deserve, but I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to still stand up and tell you, that's sin. You don't need to do it anymore, so stop doing that. But there's a classic thing of Jesus. There's times in our lives when we've got to confront people. They've done something wrong. And you don't let them get away with it. You don't ignore it. But you don't have to come in and, and, and discipline them and yell at them and do whatever and criticize them and then go and gossip about it to everybody else and talk to other people and, and harbor bitterness against that person. But there's a way of bringing mercy and patience and grace and respect for one another. Are you guys hearing me on that? And remember that Jesus did it for you. He does it for us every single day. Um, I think there's people that we deal with, say, at work or school or in our lives that are just they're irritating. There's people that, that it's hard to show this kind of mercy to. I mean, think of the jerk at work. Anybody got one of those? You got a jerk at work. You got a fool at school. You got that one kid that's just a pain in the class. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the grouch on the couch at home, you know? 
who is it that's just like the, you know, and you just like, they deserve what they get and they should just sit in their like grumpiness or whatever. Well, there's a guy I worked with one time a few years back. I wasn't in a church. It was a while ago. I was in this company. um, It was like a mechanical calibration company. It's it's too much to explain to you guys right now. I didn't even understand it. I worked there two years. I'm like, what's going on? But, um, There was one guy, they said, hey, don't talk to that guy. He's just grumpy. He's going to just insult you, and you're just going to be bummed if you talk to that guy. And for whatever reason, I felt like God said, oh, that's a guy you need to make friends with. No, not this guy. Um, But I started to. I started to talk to him, and sure enough, he would cut me down and belittle me and whatever. You know, I was young. He was old, like grandfather old to like I was like early 20s kind. And um, I would get it all the time, but I just kept working on him, just keep working on him. Because I figured if the word on the street is that that guy's grumpy and everyone should avoid him, I want to be the guy that does differently because that's what Jesus would do. That's so why I showed mercy and just would talk to him and befriend him. Found out he used to go to church, was able to kind of reignite his love for God again, talk story. I actually made a friend out of it. And what I realized is that, man, Jesus shows me so much mercy. He loves me and he helps me when I don't deserve it. I got to give people more second chances. Is that good? Well, I've used a lot of sermon time just on that one alone, but I'm going to blaze through the next ones. But I love that mercy thing. It's, it's being real and just loving on people. Verse 8, Jesus says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, what is he talking about here? He's not just talking about your physical heart, obviously. Your, your heart, when he's talking about it here, is to have a pure heart, meaning your thoughts, your desires, your motives, your character, and your will. It's who you are. It's what drives you. It's the kind of things that you wake up in the morning first thinking about. And what he's saying here is should be pure, should be unstained, unmixed, untainted by sin and the things of this world. You should have inner motives that are driven by God and wanting to please God. You wake up in the morning. I wake up in the morning and I'm just thanking God. I lay in bed. I'm just like, thank you, God. Another day. Here we go. I need your help. Get into devotions, the word, pray, whatever. It's, I got to keep that clean heart that my motives, my intentions, who I really am when no one's looking, right? That's what character is, who you are when no one's looking, that that's right before God. See, that you would have, as I put it, I'm going to read this verse, is that you have single-minded focus on God. See, there's times in my life when I've been so single-minded on certain things. Now it's God, but there's times in my life where I've been, um, back in the day, high school, single-minded focus on Tetris. Anybody? Tetris. (laughs) Remember old school Nintendo entertainment system? Tetris. Anybody? Come on. You guys played it? It's addicting, the game. And I'm talking like the old, old school. I'm not even, not, not even like Super Nintendo. NES, old school Tetris. You get the cartridges. Plug it in. Oh, okay, good. It works right now. I'm talking old school. And I just remember being so consumed with Tetris. That's all I thought about. That literally I would dream about it every night. Like all the, the blocks falling into place. You know, falling in. I would dream about this stuff. And I would, I would go to school and I would do my stuff. And I would come home and I would just be addicted just playing that for all hours. My, my girlfriend was Kanani at the time. She, she would call me and I have to make sure it was on mute so she wouldn't hear the music. So I could just keep playing while she's on the phone. How's your day? Oh, good. Oh, how's everything good? And then she's like, what is that clicking noise I hear? Oh, nothing. Are you playing Tetris right now? Uh, gotta go, right? So single-minded, like Tetris, Tetris, Tetris. And what God is saying right here is like pure in heart is that your motives, your inner, your heart, your desires, everything that drives you is that God, I want to do it God's way. I want to do it good. He goes, if you're pure in heart like that, single-minded focus on God, then it says they will see God, that you'll see God at work in your life. Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. That's interesting. You know what that saying there is? We have to ask God to clean our hearts. We can't get there on our own. 
I literally have to surrender everything to him and go, God, do what you need to in my life. Because if you do it on your own, willpower isn't enough. That's why resolutions fail every year, because you're doing it only on willpower. I'm going to do this, and guess what? Our will is not that strong. Our will is not that powerful. Listen to this. This is trippy. I was reading this recently. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not have willpower strong enough to carry out the obedience and the act of God that God had called him to. This, is, this blows my mind, because I always assume Jesus Christ, Son of God, he knew his mission, he came to earth, became human, he knew he had to go to that cross, he knew he had to do what he did. But then in the garden, the night before he's arrested, right, while he's about to get put on false trial and all of that and be crucified, he's in the garden, he's praying this, Father, if it's at any way possible that I don't have to go through this, that you could take this cup of suffering from me. In other words, this is going to hurt. It's going to be ugly. I'm going to hate this. Is there any way that I don't have to do this? And then he literally says this, not my will, but yours be done. You know what he's saying right there? My will is opposite to God. Wait, Jesus just said that? Jesus just said, not my will be done, because then I would I'd run right now. I would not want to deal with all that I'm about to go through. He said, but your will be done. For you to have a righteous, pure heart before God, which Jesus did, he submitted his own will. Willpower is not enough. I need what God has, and it takes surrender. If you, a person that you're going, I want to have a heart that's right for God. I want to do this. I'm going to do all the good steps along the way. It's not what you can do. It's what God can do in you and for you and through you. And so you have to surrender. It takes surrender. Create in me a clean heart, God, because I can't do it on my own. And this purity thing that we're talking about, a pure heart, you know what it often comes through? It comes by pain. It comes by, if you want to refine a metal to have pure gold, you want to burn off all the dirt and the rock and everything, you got to put fire to it, heat it up, separate it, right? Same thing with, with um, if you want to have fruitful trees, is you got to prune them. Remember Jesus talks about in John 15, the vine and the branches? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you guys are my branches. Remain in me and you'll be blessed and everything will go well for you. But he says this, sometimes even fruitful branches need to be pruned and cut and chopped so that it can bring about a greater good, a greater fruit, and greater potential for blessing in the future, right? So what he's basically saying is, in order to have purity, sometimes there's going to be fire or there's going to be pruning. And both of those are uncomfortable and, they're, and they hurt, but it's going to bring a greater blessing. Here's what I know. There's a, there's a verse in scripture I'm about to read. There's a prayer to God, and it's one of the scariest, yet most effective, uh, productive prayers that you'll ever pray. And it's this in verse Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. If you pray this prayer, I promise good things will happen in your life, but it's going to hurt a little bit. But it, there's no better prayer. Look what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know what you're saying right there is, God, look at me, look at everything in my life, all the way down to the deep insides of who I am when no one's looking. Really take a good hard look at me. Then he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Put me to the test. I want, I want to pass the test. And here's where it gets really hard. Point out anything in me that offends you. Whoa. You're asking God, who is perfect, pure, and holy in heaven, to find anything that is offensive, that is not right, that is not clean and pure in your life. And he says, and point, point that out, and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here's what I know. I've prayed that prayer before. I said, God, here's my life. I, you know, everything looks pretty good. I'm really trying my hardest to, to, to serve you from a pure heart. 
Lord, take a look at anything in my life and do whatever you need to. Look, my money, God. Like, dude, look, I, I serve you with my money. I'm good. And you know what God says? Okay, you want your money to be better? You want more, to be more blessed? I'm going to prune your money. And all of a sudden, financial hardship comes, financial difficulty. And what he's doing? He's putting me to the test. Let me see if I'm the Lord over you, over your finances. You still going to tithe to me when you don't have that much income? When you're struggling to pay all these bills? You know what God's doing? It's the refining fire. It's the pruning of something that's healthy. Because if I can hold on and I can stay true to him with a pure heart for him, then you know what happens after that? Suddenly, financially, I get blessed. And there's fruit. And there's, there's a time of, of providence and prosperity. I'm like, wow, how did this happen? It came because you had to be tested in that first. Are you guys hearing me? We pray this. I want a, I want a pure heart, God. I want good motives and everything. Relationships. God, here, take, look at my marriage. Look at my friendships. Look at you know, all of this stuff. And God goes, okay, let me, let me turn up the heat on that stuff. Let me prune you a little bit and let's see how you do. Oh my gosh, that hurts. When he prunes in the areas of relationships and you just, you lose relationships you thought you had and you don't know what's going on. But here's God going, let me test you. If you really want a pure heart, it comes through testing and it comes through this stuff. So I'll tell you this, pray this prayer. I highly recommend it, but be forewarned and be aware. If God really wants to do something good in you, it's going to take total surrender and it's going to take a little bit of pruning and refining. But I can tell you guys, coming out the other side, my life's a million times better than what I thought was good before. The verse in John 15 says, the branches that are fruitful, in order for them to be more fruitful, need to go through pruning. He's saying, you're already fruitful, you're already good, but I have more for you, but it's going to take a little bit of pruning. You got to surrender all, then you come to that place of purity. So the resolution for that one is guard your heart. 2015, from here on out, every day, God, I want to protect that heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It's a big deal. Keep a pure heart. I took a long time preaching those, <laughs> those first two resolutions. I'm going to get through all of them, but I'm just going to go really quickly. Here's the next one that Jesus um, talks about. He says, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. We got to give peace a chance. We got to be people that bring the peace. It's more than just, well, I have peace and I'm good. It's God is actually saying, get out of yourself and make peace in the world around you. That's different from personal peace. That's, you're bringing it. Hebrews 12, 14 says that we had to work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. That it takes work to kill gossip. It takes work to kill slander. It takes work to step into situations where it doesn't concern me. It's those two guys at work, and I'm going to let them fight it out. And God says, no. If you want to be called my children, children of God, you want to make me proud as your father, and you want to do what I do, you need to step out of yourself into their situation. But God, I don't want to rock the boat. And God goes, no. For the sake of peace and what it's going to bring, it's better than you just having your own personal space. You step in there. So at work, at school, in your, in your family, whatever. People in conflict, you step in between. And that's risky because people could turn on you. But you tell them, hey, you and you, let's sit in a room right now. You talk this thing through. You communicate. You be willing to agree to disagree. You compromise where you need to compromise. But we need to have peace because God can operate and he can dwell in a place of peace. He can't work with confusion and division. So that we would, we would work at it. It actually takes a lot of work, but we would do whatever it takes to get through that. Um, and then when, if he says that, there's a reward attached to it. It says, those who work for peace will be called children of God. Here's what I get out of that. God is the ultimate peacemaker. He sent Jesus to reconcile, to bring peace between us and God the Father. That Jesus comes in, he's the ultimate example of peace and reconciliation. He wants us to be like that to people around us. If we do, then we start to look like him. 
We start to look like our Father in heaven. How many of you guys, your kids look like you? Yeah, anybody? No, no, really? Maybe it's like a good thing, a bad thing, I don't know, but you know, like, well, I'm glad they don't look like me, you know, but I love when my kids do stuff and their attributes and their, just who they are. A couple of my kids really look like me. Isaac, he's like the Hawaiian. He pulls my wife's side. He's got the curly hair. You know, he's, it's awesome, but I'm so blessed when people go, hey, your kids look like you. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's my kids. I love them. They're cute kids. And, you know, and when they do stuff, they're like, Isaac's love for surfing. He loves the beach. All my kids do. I'm like, yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud of my kids are like me. I see me in them, you know, the attributes, the same uh, personality and stuff. Isaac is 13 years old. He's in the junior high service the other week. And my, my older one, Kylie, she's just stepped up into leadership and she's becoming like a, a leader in the, in the youth and stuff like that. And I'm, again, I'm proud of her. That's my girl. Yeah, she's, that's what she's all about. Loving God, loving people. I love that. But she tells a story about Isaac because he's got my sense of humor, right? He's sitting in the junior high service the other day and uh, Pastor Nick's teaching about, um, on, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is saying this, right, to Peter and everything. And he, he asks the question, so who... Who do you think the rock is that, that Jesus is talking about here? And none of the kids answer, right? Except here comes Isaac. Is it perhaps Dwayne Johnson? And he said all the kids just lose it, and the youth pastor loses it, and everyone's just cracking up, and I'm just like thinking, that's my boy. I love that sense of humor. That's like 13-year-old boy, pastor's kid sense of humor right there. Who is Jesus saying is the rock? Dwayne Johnson? No. But I'm going, yeah, that's so funny. I wish I would have thought of that one. That's good. But here's what God's saying. If you're someone that brings the peace to other people and you reconcile people to each other and to God, he goes this, I'm proud of you. You look like me. You're my kids. I'm going to call you my own children. We're not just friends of God. We're not just loyal subjects to the king of all kings. He goes, we're family because you act like me. You look like me. That's cool. There's no greater, greater mark that you could carry than to say, I, I look like God. God. God's proud of me for the way that I act. And so work for peace. That's the resolution I have just in this year. Just work for peace. The world needs it. And here's the last one. It talks about persecution. It's a couple verses. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. You should be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You think about that. You think about like uh, Elijah and Daniel and Jeremiah and all the prophets. And man, they were persecuted, but they're heroes. They're legends. And he goes, remember that you're in good company. So when I read this verse and talks about persecution, here's what I think. Take one for the team. Stand for Jesus and take one for the team because you're in good company because God is blessed. He'll bless you, but here's the qualifier. He'll bless, he'll bless you when you're persecuted for doing right or, for, or because you're my followers. It's not that someone came against you because they're mad at you and he's going to bless you. It's the fact that when you stand up for what's right and you stand up for Jesus and you hold on to your faith and to your values and your morals, despite what everybody else is saying, and you take the persecution, you take the flack, then God goes, I got you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to get through this stuff. Now, persecution's different. The people back in Bible days, their lives were on the line. We don't necessarily in America today face a lot of that, but we do face a lot of criticism. There's people that we just live around. We can't help it. We're living for Jesus and they're mad that you're not doing the same stuff that they're doing. 
And so they'll criticize you and they'll call you names. And in high school, I was called church boy, you know, and I'm like, oh, I tried to like downplay it and everything, but you get called little names and, and people criticize you. And hey, here, how come you're not going to go? We're going to go party. You should come party with us. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just, it's okay. I'm not into it. But then you get criticized. Oh, you think you're better than us? Oh, you're this, you're that. And there's, there's a point where you just have to make a stand. And you just have to stand up for Jesus and for, for doing what's right. You just got to take one for the team. Sometimes, sad to say, it's even other Christians that are going to criticize you. Their view of what they think is right or whatever is you're falling short. And so they're going to condemn you, criticize you. And you're like, ouch, I thought we we're family. Ouch, why are you calling me names? Ouch, look, we're on the same team. We serve the same God. What's going on? And you got to weather those. And sometimes those hurt worse because you expect better of people. And it hurts. But bottom line is God's going to bless us. And you know what he does through the persecution? He makes you stronger. Because if you can stand up and, and, and take on that persecution, you walk away feeling like, oh, yeah, I did it. I handled. I'm holding on to Jesus. And you understand that it makes you stronger in what you believe in. The other thing is that it, it tells you that your faith must show. You must be living your faith right if other people notice. I've had all kind of criticism on me. I've had Wicca covens of witches and stuff put curses on me before when I was a young man. I found out through other people, hey, these guys at school, blah, 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 they're all into Wicca and whatnot. They specifically, your name, they put curses on you and they, they want you to die and all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, crazy, a little bit scared, but then I'm a little bit like, oh, my faith must show then. I'm a threat to the enemy. Hey, right on, God, that's good. I'll take that. You know, oh, oh the devil noticed? Oh, right on, I must be doing something right then. Are you guys hearing me? Because there's nothing worse than a Christian whose light is hidden under a bushel, right? We talk about that in Matthew, like hide it under a bushel. No, <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's nothing worse than those, those kind of Christians. So your faith must show if you're getting persecuted. And that's cool. That's something to be proud of. You feel like you're part of the team. I may not have given up my life or whatever, but I suffered for the cause. I'm on the team. I, I passed the initiation. I passed the test. It said be glad about that. So here's the resolution, real simple. Stand up for Jesus when everyone tries to knock you down. Because they will. At some point in your life, if you're standing for Jesus Christ, you're going to get criticized. And it's going to happen. You're going to get persecuted in some way or another. And just don't let that happen. Here's the deal. I got asked to do a funeral recently. Someone asked me to do a funeral. I'm going to do a funeral. And I started thinking about life and death and what am I going to accomplish in my life? Life is so short. And you think about funeral and you want to talk about in, in your message all the good things a person did and who they were and all that. And I started looking at my own life. How much more time do I even have? I mean, I could live, eat healthy, exercise, all of that, but I could go get hit by a bus like on the way home. Like, I don't know how much time I have. And I'm, how am I living my life? And, and I read this quote that said this. It says, you can't do anything about the length of your life, but you can do something about its width and its depth. And I thought, that's what the Beatitudes are all about. If we live our lives with the right values and the right system, then we're living a full life. God says we've got a, a full life. See, on the tombstone, on the epitaph, in the obituary, when you look at the date that someone was born and the date that they died, the most important thing that's listed there is the dash. It's not the dates. It's the dash because the dash between when they were born and when they died is all about how they lived that life. And there's not enough attention given to that. But in that dash is how you lived your whole life. Not the accomplishments, not the resolutions every New Year's that you tried to do, but it's your heart. Jesus says it's what's inside that matters most. And if you get that right, then your life is going to be full, content, satisfied, and blessed. Is that a good word? So this is stuff we work on every day, not just at New Year's. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we come before you right now, Lord, and we just thank you for 
for giving us your word that is so full of just wisdom and how to do things right and how to be in right standing before you. Jesus, we thank you that you don't necessarily care necessarily care about what we look like on the outside and our own insecurities and, and comparisons and measuring up to everybody else. But you just want to know that from inside our heart, our motives, our desires, that we're all about you. And we love you and we chase after you every day. We love you. We love people. We get through this life. So I actually, actually ask right now that you would help us to, to change for the better in these life values, Lord. And that maybe we even filter all the resolutions we had through these Beatitudes and watch how they might change, how might they might become more meaningful or even less meaningful. But it's what's inside that matters most. And Lord, I pray right now this morning that if there's anybody that came to church here, if any of you are sitting in the audience right now and you're just going, man, I, I need to get things right with God. I want to know that there's a God that's given me mercy, that believes in me and that wants peace for my life as well as asking me to be peace to other people's lives and, and to that I could stand up, even if people make fun of me, that I could stand for this God that believes in me and that loves me and has given me eternal life. And if maybe you came here today and you've never taken that first step towards God, really dedicating your life to Him, committing to following Him, but maybe something just clicked in you today and you feel like this is something you need to do. You need to make things right before God. You need to, to have Him in your life guiding you and directing you and loving on you and forgiving you and healing you. Maybe you didn't know how to do it before. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to say a prayer with you. I'm going to say the words out loud for you and with you right now. I want you to pray them with me, but you pray them in your heart, under your breath, quietly to yourself. You don't have to pray them out loud in front of all these people right now. That's probably scary. But what I'm asking right now is that your heart would be open and change and be willing to let him in to change your life, that you would, from here on out, choose to follow him and that you would tell him that. So I'm going to do that in a prayer. But before we pray these, these words out loud and you kind of pray along quietly with me, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I just want to know who I have the privilege of praying with. People in this, seated around you in this room have their eyes closed and their heads bowed. They don't, they're not seeing you or anything. But I want to know who I get to pray with here this morning. It's a privilege for me to know who I get to pray with. I'm leading in prayer. So I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if you're saying, I want to be a Christian today, I want to pray this prayer, I want to surrender my life to God and see what he can do. If you want to pray that, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. No one else is looking, just me, just the Lord. On the count of three, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. And then we'll pray this together. I see one hand here. I see two. I see three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm looking around. Anybody else? It's at least nine hands. Thank you, Lord. If that's you, go ahead and put your hand down. Now here comes the serious stuff. I'm going to pray out loud, and I want you to pray in your heart the words, the feelings, and the emotions that I'm going to pray out loud. And you do business with God right now. God, I'm here today, and I recognize my need for you. Lord, I've been living my life on my own for so long, and I'm tired of it. It's beating me up and not getting the results I wanted. I, I know there's got to be more to life than this, God, and I believe it's you. I believe you brought me to church here this morning to, to hear whatever words you're speaking to me. Not necessarily what Pastor Carl's speaking, but what you're speaking in my heart and in my mind. And God, I want to respond to that right now. Lord, I need you in my life. I want you. Lord, I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth to pay the price for my sin, my separation, my wrongdoing, so that I could have a relationship with God the Father, his son, and the Holy Spirit who, can, who will come to live in me. So, Lord, I believe in who you are and what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price for me. I believe that he rose again on the third day. 
did only what the Son of God could do. He defeated death, but in doing so, he also defeated sin and guilt and shame and baggage and, and all of the stuff that, that I have in my past, Lord. I believe that you took that all on you and that you put that to death as well so that now I can be free. I can have a relationship with you both here on earth and in all eternity. Lord, that you could fill me with your your Holy Spirit, that I could do things that I can't do on my own willpower, but as I surrender to you, Lord, that you can do incredible things that I can have a full and long and blessed life. And Lord, I promise you that as I start getting, read, get a Bible and start reading it, Lord, that I, I'll learn more about you, that I could learn how to talk to you and pray to you, and that you would speak to me and guide my life. Lord, keep me plugged into a church that teaches the Bible, whether this one or any good church that preaches truth and preaches the Word of God. Lord, so that I could know you and I could have fellowship with the other Christians. Lord, all that I have, Lord, I surrender to you and I ask for all that you have for me, Lord, as I get water baptized, as I receive the power of your Holy Spirit, all of that good stuff, Lord. My answer from the bottom of my heart is yes, I will follow you all of my days. I believe in what you did at the cross. Thank you for loving me and accepting me as your child this Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we praise God for those people that just made that prayer? Amen.